0: Victory family. Hey, guys. Hey, I wanna, I just, we just need to worship the Lord for a second because we just had eight preachers on this platform and we did that in like five minutes, so that was pretty awesome. Hey, welcome out, everybody. Hey, we are pumped that you are here today. You're on a special day. I'm excited about today. You're jumping into the second part of our series that we're kicking off uh, this new year with, with fresh vision, fresh insight, fresh knowledge, revelation that God has given us. And so uh, last week, we cannonballed into this idea, okay, this idea that in the beginning, God said, let there be light. God created all, and then he said, it is Good. And that wasn't it, he saved the best for last. Because in Genesis 127, here's what he says. God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God created you and I in his own image. He put unique gifts and talents and abilities and dreams and personalities and a future inside every single one of us. That's not just for preachers. That's just not for people who have business. Business cards and titles and make six figures. It's for every single person. God put his image on the inside of us, fearfully and wonderfully made. God planted eternity in the human heart that we could go on forever. God put himself on the inside of us, above all the rest of creation. God smiled when he made us that we are not God, but we do have the privilege of being made in the image of God. And then he tells us why, Genesis 128, God blessed them, God blessed Adam and Eve and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. And here's what we discovered last week, is that it was always God's will, it was always God's desire to rule, to reign, in the earth with his people. And I know that that just, that almost sounds blasphemous, but here's the idea God thought I could do it all myself. Right? But the heart of God longs for community. He wants community. He doesn't need it, but he wants it. He wants to share it. And so what God did, he made you, he made me in his image. He said, I want to partner with humanity to fill this earth with my glory. I could do it all by myself, but what I want to do is I want to put myself in Adam and Eve and in their descendants. Be fruitful. Multiply. Multiply the image. Put me in humanity so that we can shine out the glory of God all across this world like the waters cover the seas. And so God put himself in us. He put the image of God in us. And yes, where sin came in and covered up the image, where it tarnished the image, Jesus came to set the captive free. He didn't come to make bad things good. He came to make dead people alive. And we have been crucified and then resurrected with Jesus Christ, born again, so that we can become uh, pure and pure image bearers reflecting his glory every single day. And today, through the freedom that Jesus brings, what we want to do is we wanna see an emancipation of greatness. This is God's desire, and these are the two words that are gonna lead us forward into the future of what God has for us here at Victory. Emancipating greatness emancipating greatness, what God wants to do, he wants to liberate, he wants to unchain, he wants to free those gifts, those talents, those abilities that God put on the inside of you, that when he dreamed about you, he didn't make a duplicate, he put his uh, own unique image on the inside of you. And what he wants to do is unchain and unhitch all the uniqueness that he put inside you so that you can and burn like a bonfire out in this world so others would see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And I believe there is so much unique gifts and ability and potential on the inside of every single one of us that is screaming to get out. I know you think it, I know you believe it, that there is something on the inside of you screaming to get out. But herein lies the difficulty. If we're not careful, this whole journey, this whole journey of emancipating greatness will turn into like an episode of Oprah or like a Tony Robbins seminar. Come on, somebody, right? Come on, like, you're so great, you're so amazing. You get greatness and you get greatness and you get greatness and you get greatness. Everybody gets greatness, right? (laughs) Because you deserve it. No, you don't deserve nothing. Come on, we are jars of clay. We are fragile, we are frail, but we are jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power comes from God and not from us. And so God has placed greatness in you. God has placed greatness, wonder, power, potential on the inside of you. Listen, it's not yours. It doesn't belong to you. You're a steward of it. You're a jar of clay, but you contain something amazing. So listen, on this journey of emancipating greatness, one of the first questions we have to ask, so that this doesn't turn into a self-help seminar, one of the first questions we have to ask is, really, what is greatness? We today, here's what we need to do. We need to redefine greatness. We need to redefine greatness. So here's a story that may help In the book of 1 Samuel chapter 16, Uh, where we find Samuel, the prophet of God, he's weeping before God because God has just rejected King Saul as king. And Samuel was right in the center of that anointing. He filled his horn with oil, poured it over uh, Saul, anointed him as the king, and then God rejected Saul. And so Samuel's weeping, but God doesn't let Samuel weep for very long because he says, hey, Samuel, stand to your feet because I've already found the next king. You need to stand to your feet, Fill your horn with oil again and go to Bethlehem to the house of a man named Jesse because one of his sons is gonna be king. And so Samuel packs up, goes to Bethlehem, and when he arrives at Jesse's house, he tells Jesse why he's there, and you can imagine Jesse's like grinning from ear to ear, right? Because you can imagine one of the greatest prophets in the history of the world just showed up at your house and said, one of your sons is gonna be king. And so, so Jesse grabs all of his sons like it's the bachelorette right? One of them's gonna get the rose. <laughs> he lines them up. <laughs> he said, come on, Samuel, pick one of them, right? And he grabs his oldest son, Eliab. Here's where we pick it up. 1 Samuel 16, verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. All right, there's the question. Why shouldn't Samuel consider Eliab's appearance or his height? Here's the answer, because that's what they did with Saul. Because Samuel was like, surely that dude's a king. Because he's like this tall, he's like this big, the dude's on the cover of every magazine, right? Like this guy is flexing, the ladies are like, there's the gun show, right? Like (laughs) this dude looks like a king, he's handsome, he's big. He's like, oh, all the ladies are falling all over him. Of course he's the king, But the problem was he had a wicked heart. He had a heart that turned away from the living God. And this is one of our biggest problems as fallen humanity. We love the outside. We love the outside. We're in love, we we all at the outside. We lust after the outside. We judge by the outside. We even judge ourselves by the outside. We we let the mirror say a whole lot about who we are, right? We're in love with the outside. But could it be that God doesn't value the same things that we value? Mm. So God says, do not consider his appearance or his height, why? For I have rejected him. Why would, why would the Lord reject him? And this is where we get to the meat. Because the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Woo! You either say, my, my, or you say, look out. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Mm. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. Let me ask you a question. What what does that tell you? Could it tell you that God's eyes go different places than our eyes go? Like, why, why 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 would God reject Eliab? Like, he looks like a king, right? See, but here's the problem. Eliab had a really big outside, but he had a really small inside. And there was something going on on the inside, listen, that disqualified his outside. And so now we go to son number two. Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these either. So he asked Jesse, are these really all the sons you have? Well, they're still the youngest. Listen, in in the original Hebrew, the word youngest also can mean the smallest. There's also the smallest one. Well, he's tending the sheep. And Samuel said, send for him and we will not sit down until he arrives. So he sent for him and he Adam brought in and he was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and handsome features. And then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Woo! That just preached about a thousand sermons. So God rejects seven sons to get to one son. Why? Because seven sons were big on the outside, but the smallest son was actually biggest on the inside, and that makes all the difference in the world because we have a God who doesn't look at the same things that people look at because people look at the outside, but God looks at the heart, and listen, God says of Iliab, he says, don't even consider his appearance or his height, and that grabbed me, right? Like, don't don't even consider it. Like, that's not even in the factor. Like, here's what it says. It, It doesn't matter if he's tall, dark, and handsome or short, pale, and ugly. Those features aren't even in the equation. So listen, guys, I got good news for you. You can be ugly and still be called by God. (laughs) Right, all those external features that the world uses to determine greatness don't matter to God. God doesn't take, the, those things aren't in the equation. And this is good news because you may have been discriminated against before because of people because they look at the outside, right? You may have been discriminated against because of your age or your language or your accent or your skin color or the car that you drive or the clothes that you wear or the people that you hang out with or because you showed up at the event with Pumas instead of Yeezys, God forbid, and people make a judgment about the outside. But at the, end, at the end of the day, God's greatness doesn't begin with the outside. God's greatness begins with the state of the heart. And here's what he's trying to say. If the heart disqualifies you, nothing else can qualify you. If the heart disqualifies you, nothing else can qualify you. It begins at the heart. Because God doesn't look at the same things that everybody else looks at. Everybody else looks at the outside, but God looks at the heart. How many of you know, it's possible to have a pretty face, but an ugly heart? Some of y'all found that out the hard way. Because on date one, all you saw was the face. Date two, the heart started to come out, right? Maybe your dad could fool everybody else but you grew up seeing the heart. Maybe the pastor at the church that you used to go to could preach really well, but it was his heart that took him down. Because God doesn't look at the same things that people look at. Man looks at the outside, but God looks at the heart. And here's what he's trying to tell us, guys, is that your gifts can take you to where your character can't keep you. Your gifts can take you to where your character, listen, in 10th grade chemistry, I, uh, um, my, my chemistry teacher saw an A student in me uh, and somebody was likable. So she asked me to be her, her teacher assistant. But as soon, listen, as soon as I got back in that office by myself, I'm, I'm changing all my friends D's to B's. <laughs> and when the teacher found out, I was the assistant no more. Why? Because my gifts had gotten me someplace that my character couldn't keep me. Some of you got the promotion at work, but your character couldn't keep you there. Some of y'all started dating somebody who is way out of your league, but your character couldn't keep you there because your outside got you there, but your inside couldn't keep you there because maybe you weren't faithful or maybe you were cruel. And what God is showing us is, guys, you can have all the gifts in the world, but if you don't have the heart to back it up, you won't last very long. So when it comes to the image of God in us, it's not about like your best life now, and right, let all your gifts out, step into your calling, because if all you try and do is be big on the outside, but you're underdeveloped on the inside, then you won't make it, and your gifts will take you to a place that your character can't keep you. So sons one through seven are taken down by an ugly heart. And then Jesse says, "Hey, isn't there another son? Don't you have?" Wow, well, yeah. I mean, well, I'm kinda. I mean, he is my son, but we don't really let him in the house. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's out taking care of the sheep. And so Jesse says, "Well, go get him because we're not we're not taking a sip of lemonade until this guy gets in the house." And so the servants go and get David. And here's the deal. David was on the pasture. David was on the hillside. David wasn't allowed. He was the no name of the family, right? This is son number eight. At some point, you're like, I don't know. I got more. I don't know. Yeah, he's out there. Just, Just take that one. He can't live in the house. Just take him, put him out there. We don't got space for him anymore. But on the hillside, listen, David has been worshiping God with his harp and lyre on the hillside. God has been faithfully tending his sheep David has been faithfully tending the sheep on the hillside. David has been growing his heart for Jehovah God on the hillside. Listen, on the hillside, David developed his inside. Come on, somebody. What what, what David learned was this, is that you'll never make it to the palace if you can't be faithful in the pasture. I've got good news for you guys. Listen, you can develop you're inside on the hillside. Here's what David was doing. David was singing, How Great is Our God, when he's restocking the shelves at Walmart. David's putting the kids to bed and then he's falling on his face at night. Oh God, crying out to God from the deepest places of his heart. David's telling his neighbors about the goodness of the Lord, but here's the deal nobody knows because he's not posting it on Instagram when nobody else was watching, he's, he's growing. David was serving in children's ministry on Sunday, even though he was tired, even though yeah, the COVID thing, but he thought that's my pasture and I can't leave those kids for the wolves. Right. He's giving of himself over and over and over again and he's growing the inside on the hillside. And he developed a heart for God when nobody was watching. Listen, he developed a heart for God when there was no promise of promotion. He just did it because it was the right thing to do, because his heart loved God. He wasn't like, well, listen, listen, this is what we do. He, he didn't say this, well, as soon as I get more money, I'll tithe. Well, as soon as I get married, I'll stop looking at porn. As soon as I get the promotion, I'll be faithful. See, we wait until we get put in the palace to act like a king. But David was a king on the hillside first. And in the secret place, when the lights and the cameras were not on, David grew his heart for God. Nobody was watching, but that didn't matter. David just said, I love God. I want to worship God. I want to live for God wherever I'm at. It doesn't matter whatever situation I find myself. I want to have an inside. It's great. So on the, on the hillside, he grew his inside. And day by day and week by week and month by month, he grew to be a giant in his soul. And guys, he may not look like a king on the outside, but God sees a king on the inside. In fact, in fact where he couldn't grow his body, he could grow his heart. I couldn't, he couldn't grow out here to try and impress everybody else, but he wasn't trying to impress everybody else. He was trying to live before God. He could grow his heart for God. And obviously he's thinking, listen, if you get close enough to me, you're gonna smell some cheap stuff, All right? I'm not perfect. If it, we find that out about David very quickly. But listen, if you get close enough to me, you're gonna see the sins. I'm not perfect, but God knew something about David that nobody else knew, that God knew that his inside was greater than his outside. In fact, his insight was so great that when David walks into his father's room, Samuel has to stand to his feet because greatness has just entered into this space and Samuel rises to his feet and he undoes the horn of oil. Listen, and God had prepared a table for David in the presence of his enemies and his brothers are gnashing their teeth and God anoints David's head with oil And goodness and mercy followed David all all the rest of the days of his life. You thought Psalm twenty three was Psalm twenty three was about David getting anointed with oil in the presence of his brothers, because he grew his heart for God. And on the path from Adam to Jesus, the redemptive story of God takes this unexpected pit stop. Pit stop at this young teenager named David. Why? Because David's inside was greater than his outside. In fact, somebody, just right now, we don't always do this, turn to your neighbor, come on, and say, neighbor, you need to be greater on the inside than you are on the outside. Come on, turn to your other neighbor, you gotta do it, because I said it. And say, neighbor, I need to be bigger on the inside than I am on the outside. Come on, tap your neighbor in front of you and say, I need to tic-tac, just kidding, all right. (laughs) So if we're gonna redefine greatness, all right, if we're actually gonna redefine greatness, we have to answer two questions. We have to answer two questions. Here's the first question. Who defines greatness? Who defines greatness? Victory family, this is the defining question. Of life. In fact, we're gonna revisit this question over and over and over again throughout this next year. Who defines greatness? In fact, I'd say it like this. The number one question of our generation is who gets to define me? Who gets to define me? Who has the final say over my life? Who gets to define me? Because at the beginning in Genesis 1, God defines us. Right, male and female, he created them. He put his image on the inside of them. Listen, God defines us. But all you gotta do is wait two chapters, Genesis 3, and Adam and Eve let the devil define greatness. Because the devil comes in and says, hey, if you eat the fruit, you'll be like God. In fact, there's a way to be great without God. And they let the devil define greatness. You fast forward to 1 Samuel 16, and Samuel thinks that he can define greatness by appearance and height. But God says, listen, Samuel, that's not the way that it works. And today, we define us. Come on, somebody. I know this is controversial. We define us. How I feel defines me. How I feel today defines my sexuality. How I feel today defines my gender. How I feel today determines my mood or how I view myself. Because I define me. I define me. Maybe your spouse or your friend or your boss said words over you that defines you. Maybe you had somebody try and manipulate you and say, you'll never amount to anything without me in your life. They tried to define your life. Maybe your parents told you what was great. Maybe your parents told you, you gotta do this, you gotta do that, you gotta do that. And they put that upon your life and you've been striving for that ever since because you allowed your parents to define greatness. Listen, David's dad didn't believe in him. But here's the question. Did David allow his dad to define him or his God to define him? And this is so important. Why? Because whoever or whatever defines us is our God. Whoever or whatever defines us is our God. So I'm gonna ask you a question today, family. Who's your God? Don't be quick to answer it. Don't be quick. That requires a heart check. Because when you're laying in bed at night and your heart condemns you, who's defining you? Come on, who defines you? Who defines who you are? And the decision that we have to make today is that God, Jehovah God, is the one that defines me. I am not my God. My parents are not my God. My government is not my God, my emotions are not my God, my boss is not my God, my spouse is not my God, my kids are not my God, my ex-spouse is not my God. Come on, nobody else is my God, but God. Listen, because the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of God, listen, the word of God is permanent. It endures, everything else is shifting sand, but what God says remains. and I have to make the decision, I'm going to allow God to define who I am. Above all else. So the first question is, who defines greatness? The second question is this, is very simply, what is greatness? What is greatness? (sighs) Over Christmas, uh, we were watching Home Alone 2 as a family, anybody, yeah? And uh, there's this scene where Kevin, little Kevin McAllister, right? He's walking through the hotel lobby, and who does he see? Donald Trump. Why? Because in the 90s, greatness was Donald Trump. Maybe not so much today. Not gonna get into it today. But you fast forward a little bit, then success was Bill Gates, right? And then it was Steve Jobs. And then it was Elon Musk, and now it's Jeff Bezos, right? Why, because those guys are really big on the outside. Did y'all know this? Maybe, maybe you did. This is this crazy, Jeff Bezos, okay. Uh, he and Elon Musk go back and forth for the wealthiest person on the, on the planet. Jeff Bezos, he's the founder of Amazon. Um, it was reported that this last year, Jeff Bezos made an average of $320 million a day. Not a year, a day, a day. What is is that greatness? Some of you are like, well, it ain't that bad. I mean, <laughs> can we just add that on? <laughs> you know. See, here's the problem. In my Bible, Jesus tells a story about a man who kept on building bigger and bigger barns to store all of his stuff, and God said, you're a fool because tonight your very life will be taken from you and then what do you have to show for it all? Because it doesn't matter how big we are on the outside. Listen, when you die and you stand nude before God and you ain't got your $320 million a day and you don't have your cars and you don't have your servants, you don't have the mansions, you don't have all the stuff because it's all burned away. What will God say about you? Because the world defines greatness as having everything you've ever wanted, right? Your parents define greatness as getting a good education and getting a good job and making a lot of money. Your boss defines greatness as making him a lot of money. Your spouse defines greatness as being able to pay the bills. Your friends define greatness as always being available for them. Your heart defines greatness as being looked up to and being respected. Your past defines greatness as something that's unattainable because you're disqualified. Your future defines greatness as something you're gonna have to fight and claw for. Your present defines greatness as something that you could probably never have because of things that you've done and the thoughts that you think. And each one of these definitions of greatness becomes another chain, another weight on your shoulders. Let's say a oh God, I gotta please them and I gotta live for them and I gotta do that. But listen, I can't live my life trying to please everybody else. I can't live my life trying to be big on the outside. I can't live my life under the burden of trying to impress everybody. Listen, I'm trying to impress you and climb the ladder and be important. I wanna please God. I wanna please God. That's what I have to live for. That's what you have to live for. At the very end of my life, when I'm in the hospital bed, boop, 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 I don't want my boss, I'm not living to have my boss come in and be like, hey, uh, you didn't make your second quarter goals, so I'm gonna need you to step it up a little bit. (laughs) No, I'm living to hear my father say, well done, well done, well done. So I gotta live for a different greatness than everybody else is living for. Here's the question, what if we allowed God alone to define greatness? Because God is not silent when it comes to greatness. All right, Jesus, in fact, he he gives us one hint, Matthew 20, 26, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave just as the son of man himself did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, listen guys, Jesus says there's not a problem wanting to be great. There's not. Jesus says, wanna be great all day. I want all of you to wanna be great. But that greatness is gonna look a little bit different in the kingdom than it does in the world. Because the greatness that God is talking about is a greatness that starts on the inside, not a greatness that tries to flex on the outside for everybody to stand back and applaud. We can't live for this applause from people. We gotta live for applause from heaven. Because greatness in the world is all about using what, what you have for your glory. But greatness in the eyes of God is about using what he gave you and then pouring yourself out and letting everything that he put in you get out of you, but not for your glory, for his glory, for his glory. In fact, fact, MLK, Dr. King, he said this, let's put this up here. He said, everybody can be great because anybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to, in other words, you don't have to be a great preacher to serve. You only need a heart full of grace, a soul generated by love. Anybody can be great because this greatness comes from the inside. I'm not waiting for my outside to be great. I'm I'm striving for my inside to be great. I'm trusting God with my heart. So here's the question. What does that life look like? What is greatness? And I'm gonna give you my humble definition of what greatness is. Here it is. Greatness is living confident in who God made me to be using the unique gifts he put in me for his glory around me. I believe that this is the journey. This is the emancipation of greatness. I believe that this is the journey that God has taken us on. Greatness is living confident in who God made me to be using the unique gifts he put in me for his glory around me. Confident, confident, confident. Listen, that's the key word for me, confident. Stella got her groove back and God wants you to get your confidence back. (laughs) God loves the gifts that he put in David. David. God loves that, God loves what he put, that image he put inside David, right? Listen, David was a poet, David was a warrior, David was a musician, David was handsome, David was a leader. Some of you ladies are like, wait a second, is he on my app? (laughs) Hold on, all right. When it came came to gifts, God gave David two scoops, all right? But listen, when Samuel goes to to anoint David, I want you to notice what David doesn't do. David doesn't shrink back and is like, who, me? I can't accept this. No, listen, I'm not worried. Just give it to somebody else. No, David stood there and said, if this is what God has for me, pour it out, brother pour it out. And then he starts putting one foot in front of the other to confidently walk into the calling that God has for his life. Because he said, if God refined me on the hillside, then God is calling me to the palace in this next season. He called me there, then he's calling me here now, and I'm going to take one step, put in front of the other, and then begin letting what God put in me get out of me with Confidence. Listen, you and I are seated with Christ in heavenly places. The Father smiles when he thinks about us. God rejoices over us with shouts of joy. Listen, you you and I are being purified day by day into the image of Jesus. So we don't need to try and impress people. We need to try and live to please the Father. We don't need to be big on the outside. We first need to be big on the inside. And if we can be big on the inside, then later God can trust us with the outside. if we're talking about emancipating greatness, greatness is living confident, confident in who God called me to be, right? Confident in who God called me to be, using the unique gifts that he gave me in me for his glory in the world around me. And that is greatness, and that is success, and that is significance, and that's a life of joy. And I'm just going to be honest, that is something I struggle with. That's something I struggle with. And if you'll allow me, I wanna be vulnerable for a moment here. I've always struggled with confidence. I would love to say that I haven't, but I have. Even from the time that I was young, I struggled. Always tried to shrink into the background. I was always afraid of speaking up. I was always afraid of what people would think about me. I just tried to stay in the shadows because if people look at me, they might not like me. And, you know, it was to the point that even, I remember this, like for years, like, I know this sounds so stupid. I've said this before, but it's tracked, this followed me for years that I, when I was at a restaurant, I would be afraid to ask for refills on my drink because what if she said no? Like, I don't know if I can take that. More sweet tea, please. No. Oh, God, who am I? Right? For real, that's like, these are scenarios playing out in my mind. In sixth grade, my, my, my friends in class nominated me for student council, but I walked around telling everybody not to vote for me because I would rather have a reason for not getting elected than actually put myself out there and get rejected. Like this is the life that I live. I've always struggled with confidence. So you can imagine taking somebody who struggles with confidence and then they get called to be a pastor, Right, And then they start preaching and you stick a microphone in their hand or on their ear and they have to stand up before 20,000 people every single weekend. You can imagine what's happening. And it may not look like it to you, but when I go go home, when I lay in bed at night, there's a lot of voices doing this. When it's just me and Jesus, there's a whole lot of voices doing this. You're not worthy. Imposter syndrome, right? If they only found out who you are and what you're not and all these sorts of things. In every promotion I've struggled. When, when, when we went from, when Summer and I went from being in a small group to small group leaders, that was a struggle. Because listen, when, when you're in a small group, you can just kind of fade back. But when you're the leader, people are looking at you and they actually expect you to say things. <laughs> you can't just show up, right? Now you actually have to lead, like that's in the title, small group leader? I actually have to lead something? And then when I move from small group leader to small group coach, I'm actually coaching small group leaders. Now a lot of people are looking at me. Then when we move from being small group coaches to the, the fusion, the young adult pastors here, what I I have to, I have to stand up every week? You mean you mean every seven days? I have to preach. And then moving from there to being the 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 Hamilton Mill to launching Hamilton Mill, Victory Hamilton Mill. Like confidence, confidence, God, like, who am I? Oh my gosh, I can't can't do this. What are you talking about? And then stepping from that into being senior pastors? Are you kidding me? I know you might not see it, but listen, this is, (coughs) yep, 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 yep. And when Summer and I got the literal torch from Pastor Dennis and Colleen in August, if you were here, I called one of my friends who had just been through a, a pastoral transition out in Oklahoma. And I said, dude, you gotta give me some advice. I'm struggling, I'm struggling. And he gave me some of the best advice I could ever receive. And I know it sounds so simple, but here's what he told me. He said, Johnson, you're gonna wanna get in there and you're gonna wanna hit home runs. He said, don't hit home runs. Don't try and impress people. Hit some singles. Just put the ball in play, man. Just be you. Do what God's called you to do. Don't try and impress people. Just be you. And that was so helpful to me because I had actually just been reading 1 Samuel. And I had just come across 1 Samuel 15, which is crazy in the Bible. It's just before 1 Samuel 16. You no, know, that's, that's a theology thing. <sighs> but this is the, 1 Samuel 15 is the chapter before Samuel goes to anoint David as king. And in 1 Samuel 15 is when King Saul gets rejected. And it turned the whole story on my head when I read this. Here it is, 1 Samuel 15, 17. Samuel told Saul, he said this, although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? The Lord has anointed you king of Israel. See, the the context here is this, is that that God had told Saul, hey, just go in and wipe the army out. But Saul brought back some spoils of war to, to show to the people. And I had always thought that Saul's issue was pride. I'd always thought that Saul was flexing on everybody. I'd always thought like Saul was just trying, trying to show off, right? But Saul's problem wasn't pride. Saul's problem was insecurity. Saul didn't believe that he was who God said he was. And so he thought, I have to supplement what God says about me. And so what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna get some trophies and I'm gonna bring them back to show the people, look, I really am the king. Look, look, look. Yeah, I know I conquered and that, but that wasn't enough. I know, I know what God says about me, but I care about what you say about me. And so listen, here, look at all my trophies. Look at it, look, aren't I the king? Don't you love me now? And so God had to reject Saul Because he knew Saul's gonna spend the rest of his life as king trying to please the people instead of please God. He's gonna spend the rest of his life trying to be big on the outside because his inside is so small. And when I stepped into this position, God told me, no qualms about it, so clearly, so succinctly. He said, no trophies, no trophies. He said, don't try and impress the people. Don't try and make a big splash. Don't try and hit home runs. He said, there's gonna be people who want from you more than you can give them. That's okay, because you're not trying to live for them. Don't try and impress them. Don't try and live big for people. Live to make me happy, because i prepared you for this moment. I've gifted you for this moment. And in fact, he said this, listen, listen, listen. He said, Johnson, I'm not asking for you to be strong. He said, in fact, embrace your weakness. Embrace your weakness. Be confident in your weakness. Give me your weakness because you can't do this alone, but we can do it together. And in 1 Samuel 15, God rejects Saul as king. 1 Samuel 16, God anoints David as king because he was bigger on the inside. And in 1 Samuel 17 is when David kills Goliath. But when David's talking to Goliath, he doesn't say, here I am, boy. Look at me. I killed the lion and the bear. I'm brave. I'm strong. I'm big. I already got anointed. Look at me. I'm about to kill you. What David actually says is, today the Lord will conquer you. He says the Lord will conquer you because David was weak, but God was strong. And so David's weakness, think of it like this, David's weakness rode on God's strength. David's weakness rode on God's strength. And on our journey of emancipating greatness, on our journey of redefining greatness, this is what this journey so often looks like. This is this this story about a little mouse one time and he was crossing the bridge on the back of this giant elephant and as they're walking across the bridge, the whole bridge is pff, 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 violently shaking. And when they get to the other side, the mouse whispers down to the, to the elephant, wow, we really did shake that bridge, didn't we? <laughs> because when you partner with God to live life, your weakness rides on his strength. And what he's asking us today, listen, if what he's asking us today is to be a confident mouse, to be confident in who he created us to be, to allow him to define us, to not worry about being great on the outside. Because if we can be great on the inside, then God can trust us with the outside. If we can trust God with our hearts, he can trust us with his gifts. Come on, if we can trust God with our hearts, he can trust... Us with this gifts. And in your struggles, do not stop. Come on, somebody. In your weakness, do not give up. In your struggle, do not strive. And in your strength, do not strut. Take everything you have and place it before the Lord as the little boy with the loaves and the fish and then stand back and watch what God can do. Because greatness is not flexing on this world. Greatness is being great firstly before the Lord. And I want us to read this definition one more time together. Can we put this up here? Let's read this together. Greatness is living confident in who God made me to be using the unique gifts he put in me for his glory around me. And what God is calling us today to do is this, is to ride your your weakness on his strength. And let's go out into this world to shake bridges together with God. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Whew. Amen. Come on, let's bow our heads. Let's pray. God, you alone are great. You alone are worthy to be praised. You are that giver of every good gift. God, every good thing we have comes from you. God, we cannot manufacture greatness. God, we can try and boast of the outside. But God, what matters at the end of the day is infinitely more what you see about us in private than what people see about us in public. And so today, our heart is bare before you. And God, what we say from the deepest part of who we are is this. God, I don't wanna be great on the outside if I'm small on the inside. Come on, just allow that to to well up on the inside of you. In fact, God, As one people today, God, we repent for trying to be great apart from God. God, we repent for following the trap of the devil in Genesis 3 who says that there's another path to greatness outside of God. God, today we fall on you, we lean on you and not our own understanding. We acknowledge you, God. We put our trust in you, God. God, we say that the source of everything good comes from you. God, what we say is we believe this, that we were made for great things, but we cannot do those great things apart from a great God. And so today, God, we tap back into you. We lean back into you. We repent for following other loves, looking for other eyes, and allowing other people to define us. And so right now, let's just do this. Come on, just together. Whatever you've allowed to define you in the past, say, God, I break free from that. God, by the power of Jesus, God, I cast off the mirror. The mirror no longer defines me. What dad said about me when I was six, that no longer defines me. What my abuser said about me when I was younger, no longer defines me. What my boss said, it no longer defines me. What what the voices, my heart, when it condemns me, I no longer define me. My God defines me. You alone define me. And God, before I'm great in this world, I wanna be great in the kingdom. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Help me to be bigger on the inside than I am on the outside. Mm. But listen, none of this is possible without Jesus. The only way we can connect to the Father, the only way we can enter into this journey is is with Jesus, the one who has the power to break sin, the one who has power to break strongholds, the one who has power to set us free. The name of Jesus is above every name. (laughs) We glorify the name of Jesus in this house. And so today what we're doing, we're putting our faith, our trust in Jesus more than we are ourselves saying, God, I can't do any of this. I am weak, but through your strength, I am strong. And the way into the kingdom, the way into this journey is through Christ alone. And so what I wanna do, I wanna offer that to every single person in here, every single person under the sound of my voice. I want us to pray together. Let's pray like this. Say, Jesus, I repent for my ways, for trying to be great in this world, because it's empty. I wanna be bigger on the inside than I am on the outside. I wanna come alive today. And so I turn to you. I receive you as my Lord, as my Savior, as my King for the rest of my life. You were crucified so I could live. And so today I am born again by faith in Jesus and I'm gonna live the rest of my life, not for my glory, but for your glory. So help me, Jesus, day by day, to walk deeper into the life you have for me, more confident in who you made me to be, letting the gifts you put in me get out of me for your glory, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Amen, amen. Hey, let's do this, let's stand up to our feet and we're gonna worship the Lord together right before we leave. I want us to take everything that the Lord just said to us and we, I want us to let it out in worship. This is praise, this is thanksgiving. It's is saying, God, you are good when I am not, you are. And so let's worship at the top of our lungs that he alone is our champion in Jesus' name, amen.